Would you pray with me? God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There is a poem I love written by Lucille Clifton. It's titled, I am running into a new year. She says this, It will be hard to let go of what I said to myself about myself when I was 16 and 26 and 36 even 36. That's just a few lines from the poem. I imagine that we are saying things to ourselves about ourselves all the time. I also imagine that only part of this is conscious and that a great deal of this is unconscious. And my experience is that yes, it will be hard to let go of what I said to myself about myself when I was 16 and 26 and 36, even 36. It can be hard to let go of what we say to ourselves about ourselves. And it is harder still if we don't even clearly see what we are saying to ourselves about ourselves, what these messages or stories are that may be unconscious. Our Bible is not a psychological document. It is not a self-help book. The writings that are included in what we call the Bible were written over the course of thousands of years across times and historical contexts that were sometimes very different from one another. But for all the diversity within our Bible, the times and contexts in which our biblical texts were written are particularly different from our present historical context, more different from us than even from each other. And one big difference between the contexts in which our Bible was written and our contemporary context is the difference in the emphasis on the individual. We focus on our individuality today in a way that would have been baffling to our biblical ancestors. To me, knowing this only makes it more surprising when our Bible does offer nuggets that contribute to our sense of individual identity, particularly when we find places in our Bible that do seem to address the question of self-understanding. And we do find those places. Jesus speaks to this when he says to his followers, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? In other words, why are we so quick to imagine that we can clearly see others when we cannot see ourselves clearly. Jesus suggests that imagining that we can see what is going on with someone else when we can't see clearly what is going on with ourselves is hypocrisy. And Jesus suggests that we would be well served to see ourselves more clearly first. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Paul doesn't use the language of seeing clearly, but instead uses the language of sober judgment, applied to how we think of ourselves. I like to think of this as having 
a matter-of-fact perspective on ourselves as clear thinking. Paul also says that it is our faith that empowers us to think of ourselves more clearly, more accurately. Sometimes the things we tell ourselves about ourselves, to go back to the poem, sometimes those things we tell ourselves about ourselves are the logs in our eyes. Sometimes the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves are the barriers to the sober judgment Paul encourages. Stories that get in the way of seeing ourselves clearly. Mindfulness can be an antidote to these barriers, can be consistent with a good sober look at ourselves. All through the year, worship plans are made and themes are chosen, and then things happen in the world. Stewardship is important. I'm not going to jettison our plans for worship. And so, in the context of that, I don't know how to talk about the shooting in Roseburg, Oregon this week, and I don't know how to not talk about it. Except that I think there is actually just a bit of a connection here. When it comes to guns in this country, there are stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. And for many people, it is difficult, perhaps seemingly impossible sometimes, to pause and examine these stories, never mind to hear each other. One story is that we all need access to guns in order to protect ourselves and one another. And then that story gets expanded into another story, the story that if we don't allow even semi-automatic weapons to be available to the general public, then we are hampering our ability to protect ourselves. We tell ourselves stories sometimes fueled by fear and anger and other emotions. There are other stories we tell ourselves that this is never going to change, that this is too powerful a trend to stop. It doesn't matter which stories are holding us captive. We need to challenge the stories and sometimes let them go. Mindfulness is an orientation and practice that has its roots in Buddhism. A very simple and succinct definition of mindfulness is awareness in the present moment of our thoughts, feelings, bodily sensations, and surrounding environment. Since every present moment unfolds continually into the next moment, you will often hear people talk about moment-by-moment awareness. Some months ago, your stewardship team started wondering aloud whether mindfulness might be a helpful theme for our stewardship emphasis this year. Every year, we as a community together pause and focus on the abundance of gifts God has given us and has provided to our world. We spend time remembering our gratitude for God's generosity. We remember our faith conviction that God is the source of all that is. And we talk about what this means for our own use of these resources that come ultimately from God, including the resource of our money, but applying to the resources of our time and energy, our skills, our material belongings, 
our relationships and the precious gift of our earth and all that is in it. Every year, we make an effort to look soberly at these things, to pause in the hopes of achieving some clarity of vision and perspective. I do think that mindfulness is a valuable tool for this. In godly play, we teach our kids to wonder. We ask open-ended, wondering questions about our biblical stories and our biblical characters. We ask open-ended, wondering questions about God. Choosing godly play as a primary vehicle for passing on our faith to our children reflects this church's values. Values of openness, questioning, and wonder. Embracing this approach suggests that questions are just as important as the answers. We can bring these values and practices to how we look at ourselves, in general and also in relationship to money. I imagine that money is one of those many areas where we tell ourselves about ourselves, tell ourselves things we might not always examine or question. And these stories we tell ourselves can get in the way of being present to our direct experience in the moment. And our direct experience, in turn, can teach us so much about how we are navigating our financial lives. Our direct experience is a powerful tool for seeing clearly. In this season of stewardship, I hope you might take some intentional time to wonder gently about your relationship to money and how that fits with your faith. And if you choose to do this, which I do hope you will, I hope you will do it with kindness, kindness toward yourself. Give yourself permission to be a work in progress. One of the central teachings of mindfulness is that this focus on the thoughts and feelings of the present moment is to be a non-judgmental awareness. Can you look at yourself without self-judgment? We have added a stewardship section to our website for this season, and there are some resources there to help with a mindful approach to money. But for now, here are some questions you might consider as you wonder gently about your experience of money and your faith. What is the story of your relationship to money? Think about what you know about your parents' attitudes toward money. What did they teach you? How do you carry those early messages with you today? Are they messages you want to adopt or ones you want to let go? What emotions come up as you think about money? Do you feel anxiety or fear Embarrassment, calm and confidence. Knowing what you feel can help you then see how your feelings impact your choices. And then apart from fear or denial or wishful thinking, do you have a clear picture of your finances? Do you know what you need? Do you know what you have? Do you know how you're using what you have? Can you look at this picture with a gentle 
and matter-of-fact approach, simply as information that is available for your use. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, what are your values? What do you stand for? What principles and beliefs do you want to express with your life? These questions are just an example, and they're also just a start. Knowing yourself, having a clearer self-understanding, is one important puzzle piece to sorting out how our faith and our financial lives intersect. It's only when we know what we tell ourselves about ourselves that we can decide consciously whether to let go or embrace those things we tell ourselves. When Paul instructs us to think of ourselves with sober judgment, he tells us to do this according to the measure of faith which God has assigned. God is with you in this. The God we know to be gracious and steadfast, loving and merciful. As you grow in seeing yourself clearly, lean on the God who receives and loves you exactly as you are. God knows that each one of us is a work in progress. God understands that better even than we do. In this coming week, I hope you say yes to this invitation to wonder gently. And as you do, may you feel the God of love and grace by your side your constant companion as you grow in faith. Amen.